Hi everyone, welcome back to But What Will People Say? I'm your host, Disha Mystery Mazeppa. Our guest this week is Disha Smith, and she st- shares her story um, about being disowned by her family. Um, so please be warned that there is um, talk about being disowned, emotional trauma, and things of that nature on this episode. So just so you guys have a heads up, if this isn't something you're comfortable listening to, um, this is kind of your chance to tune out and turn this off. Um, but if you'd like to get in touch with Disha or find her online on Instagram, you can find her at Disha Discovers or her website, DishaDiscovers.com. Um, it was a really insightful conversation and I think it's an important topic to discuss. So I'm sharing it here with you guys. Um, you know where to find us. We're on all major streaming services and without further ado, here's Disha. So hi, everyone. We're here with Disha, who has the same name as me, which is awesome because I've never n- met another human with the name. And, uh, hey, Disha. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's super cool that we have the same name. I love it. So here's my story. So it was April of 2014, and I was on Facebook one night. I was supposed to be studying for finals, you know, but we always procrastinate. And so there was a guy that was mentoring me while I was in college and he shared an incredible and inspiring post made by my future husband. So, you know, I'm supposed to be studying, but everything that this post says about living your life to the fullest and just taking every single day as an opportunity to make yourself proud and do amazing things that really spoke out to me. And so I started creeping on this guy on Facebook and there was just something about him. And it was, it was so incredible. You know, I was, I hoped that he was single because I definitely wanted to get to know him better. And so I reached out to my mentor and asked him to introduce us. And so Amos was a little hesitant at first about meeting me. Um, He was really busy traveling the world and wasn't really looking for a relationship, but I was pretty persistent and I landed a first date with him. And I think the the first date was really awkward actually, but he gave me a second date and that's when I think the spark started to fly for him. And eventually around the third or fourth date, I was faced with the question, you know, what, what do I tell my parents and how is this eventually going to go down? Because at that point, I could tell that he would be somebody that I would be with for a really long time. And so that conversation was meant to be had sometime soon. Um, We just we kept hanging out with each other. And I tried to bring him home one weekend. And I think in the back of my parents head, they kind of knew that he existed, but they obviously didn't want to come face to face with that because, you know, what Indian parent wants to embrace the fact that their daughter or their son is hanging out with somebody that's not Indian, you know? And so mm-hmm. I, it was, it was a weekend. I told my parents, Hey, um, I want to come down for the weekend. I want to bring a friend over, want you to meet him. And they said, Oh, we're going out of town. So that was that. And then come to find out they didn't really go out of town. So that was just really confusing and disheartening, you know, because I, the way that they handled it made me realize, okay, this is not going to be the easiest thing in the world. 
So Amos and I kept dating in secret. It's honestly, it's a little terrifying, you know, when you are dating somebody outside of your race, because growing up as a kid, my family always threatened me, you know, don't, don't date anybody outside of a race. You'll never hear from us again. We'll never talk to you again. You'll be dead to us. And so as a kid, you think, okay, I'm never going to do that. You know, I want my parents to be happy. I will never do anything to hurt them. But as you get older, you become your own person. And I think you come to realize, you know, you only have your life to live, right? And you can't always do everything that makes your parents happy and proud. And so when I was in college, I kind of knew then that whatever happens in a few years, it's probably going to be a breaking point between me and my parents. Um, They were really abusive and manipulative when I was growing up anyway, um, in terms of physical abuse and emotional abuse. Nothing I ever did was good enough for them. I was always a disappointment. You know, I could have gotten a 99% on a test and it was always, why did you not make a 100%? You're such a disappointment. You're never going to amount to anything in life. And so those thoughts always played in the back of my head too. You know, it's like, I'm finally dating somebody that's incredible. And my parents are never going to support this. You know, what do I do? So we just kept dating. And I want to say there was a a Snoopy Indian auntie I was friends with on Facebook that I think she put the puzzle pieces together. And so she reaches out to my mom and apparently tells her that I am dating a white guy. And so Amos and I are out and about And we're having a date night and I just get this grueling phone call from my mom. And she says, what is this I see about you hanging out with a white guy? Are you dating? What are you doing? And so just such a, it was a horrible phone call. All it was is just yelling and she wouldn't really understand anything that I was trying to say to her because the only thing that she saw was what are people going to say when they find out about this? You know, one on D already knows she's going to go and she's going to tell all of her friends and what are people going to think of us? This is how we raised our daughter. What a shame. And so I, I was just so frustrated that she wasn't listening to me. I hung up the call and then a few hours later, my dad calls me. And so, you know, Indian parents are pretty dramatic. Most of the time he says, you're going to give me a heart attack. You can't do this. You can't, keep seeing him. It's us or it's him. You need to make a choice. This is not okay. Um, At the time, I had graduated college and I was living in Oklahoma City about two hours away from where my parents were living. So I had my own apartment. I pretty much had my own life there. And um, he threatened to bring me back home. And he said, you're done being an adult. You're going to move in home. Um, You have to get rid of him. And so I, I... We hung up the call and in the back of my head, I knew what decision I wanted to make. And that was to be with Amos and to pursue my relationship with him. But you also have this guilt, like, well, I am hurting my parents. This is not what they expected from me. And in a sense, you know, you feel like you're betraying them. And it just, I had a few moments of guilt. And so I slept on it. And the next day, I had a lot of clarification, actually. I just realized, you know, I can't keep living a life that's always controlled by my parents. Because if I keep doing that, I'm, I'm never going to be happy. 
you know, I'm going to be 80 years old and look back on life and realize I didn't really live my life. I lived my parents' life and I just didn't want that to be me. And so when it came time to make the official decision, it wasn't really a matter of me choosing Amos over my parents. It was me choosing my own life and choosing to live it on my terms rather than live it on their terms. And so I just, I gave myself space for my parents. There was a week where we didn't talk. And one day I get home from work and there's a knock on the door. I wasn't expecting anybody, so I'm a little confused. And I open the door and it's my parents, my little sister, and my dad's best friend. And I'm, I'm shocked to see them. I haven't spoken to them in a week and I'm wondering what they're doing here. So I'm a little hesitant to open the door because I was a little afraid of my dad's threats of like bringing me back home. Um, I, I didn't know what their intentions were. And so they forced their way into my apartment. And the first thing they do is they just start rummaging through my stuff to see if Amos was living with me. And they just, they go through every single drawer, which he wasn't, you know, he, we never lived together at that time. Um, they just were super nosy, really invasive. And then they snatched my phone out of my hand and just began looking through messages and everything. And this goes on for about two hours. They're just sitting in my living room and I have no idea what to do. I'm terrified um, of what's going to happen next. And so finally, they make me call Amos and tell him that we're not going to be together anymore and that I choose them over him. And so in order to let Amos know that this is kind of staged, I begin the conversation with, hey, my parents are here. We can't be together. This is it. Um, my goal, you know, was just to tell him that on the phone to get my parents out of the house and then I'd figure out whatever was to happen next. And my parents obviously were upset. They knew what I was doing by telling him that they're there. So they stayed a little longer. They started to lecture me for another hour, just telling me what a big disgrace I am. And they couldn't even believe that I could fathom being with somebody outside of my race and this and that, you know. So finally they leave at around 9 p.m., so after they leave, I call Amos, you know, just to explain what had happened and that we very much are still together. When I'm on the phone with him, we hear a very odd clicking noise and we had never heard it before. Um, we didn't really think anything of it at first. We figured, okay, it's just a bad signal or whatever. Um, so there's that. And then a few days later, I get a call from my parents and, you know, in their mind, they think that Amos and I are not together anymore because that's what I told them in order for them to get out of the house. They want me to come home the next weekend so that we can go to Arkansas together to hang out with my cousin there. And so in my head, I knew this is probably the last time I'm going to see my entire extended family. I might as well go even if I don't want to. Um, so I get home on a Friday night. And my parents tell me, hey, we're actually not going to go. Your family is going to come here instead. And that's when I got really weird feelings because the original plan was we're going to go and see them, not vice versa. So I was instantly kind of weirded out. 
And I told Amos before I left to go home that weekend that I wouldn't be talking to him very much because I wanted to spend time with my family. Plus, I didn't want my family finding out that we actually were together because I would be home and I would be put in a situation where, you know, they could potentially not let me leave. So I didn't talk to him all weekend. And Saturday rolls around. My family shows up and, you know, we're catching up like normal, but something still feels weird. And I think they all knew that I was dating Amos, um, my cousins, my aunts and uncles and everything like that. So it's Sunday afternoon. I'm getting ready to head back to Oklahoma City and I'm packing my bags. I'm getting ready to leave. And my dad says, we're having a family meeting on the couch. You're not leaving yet. Yeah. So my family had me sit down on the couch and my dad asked me, when was the last time you talked to Amos? And I obviously said I haven't spoken to him since the last time I talked to you, which was at my apartment. You know, um, I I didn't feel like it was any of my parents' business knowing when the last time was that I talked to him. So I lied, obviously. And my parents, they called me out on the lie. They said, no, here are phone records. Here's every single text message you guys have sent each other. I have a recording of all your phone conversations you've had, how long you've talked to him on the phone, you're a liar. So I'm I'm a little freaked out, honestly, at this point that they would even have phone records like this. I didn't even know that those were available. Um, So that was just really creepy. It showed every single text message and what we said in those messages, which was just the weirdest thing ever. So then, you know, I... I'm called a disgrace again, and you're such a horrible daughter, and this and that, and you're dead to us. And my mom fakes a heart attack, which, you know, she's notorious for being a drama queen sometimes. So I didn't think anything of that. You know, I just, I let her do her thing. Um, and this entire time, I'm, I'm just being harassed by my family, by my dad's friend who happened to show up again, you know, as his backup. And my parents again asked me, who is it? Is it him or is it us? And if it's him, then you need to hit the road. And I mean, I, I live two hours away and I have nobody here in that town that I can call that would come pick me up. You know, all of my friends have graduated high school. They've moved on. They don't live there anymore. So I, I'm freaking out if I hit the streets, you know, I don't know how I'm supposed to get back to Oklahoma City, which is where I live, you know, it's just, it's a terrifying moment. And I know I probably shouldn't have done this, but I told my parents, you know, listen, they, I'm going to backtrack. They said, we want you to come home. We want you to move back. We will come move you out of your apartment. And within a few weeks, we're going to get you married to whoever so that we can push all of this under the rug. And you're never going to be able to leave this house until we get you married off. Like you're going to be here under our captivity and you're not allowed to leave ever. Um, So, you know, that's when I really started freaking out because I just did not want that to happen to me. And so I told them, I said, okay, listen, let me drive back to Oklahoma City. I will move all of my stuff out. I will let my boss know that I'm quitting my job. And after that, you know, I'll happily drive back here. And that's that. So, so they believed me. Um, so I drive off to Oklahoma city and I give Amos a call and I say, Hey, I need you to go to my apartment. 
I need you to pack up things that belong to them because this is what's happening later on tonight when I get back. We're going to have to drive back and we're going to have to drop the car off and everything that they ever bought me because that was another one of their conditions too. You know, if I chose Amos, they wanted everything back that they'd ever possibly given me, given me like my computer, my car, my cell phone, any other gift, you know, which is fine. I don't want your material possessions anyway. So I give him a call and he's packing things up. And as soon as I get back to my apartment, we start loading the car up. And so we start driving back and it's the dead of night. I want to say maybe midnight. So I just, I drop the car off in their property and I leave the keys inside of the car. Um, I didn't tell them that this was happening, that the con the last conversation I had with my parents before I drove back to Oklahoma city was, I knew in my mind, the last conversation I would ever have with them. Um, so that was that. And my parents told me, you know, if you bring your stuff back and you decide to be with him, that's it. We'll never talk to you again. You'll never see us again. You're dead to us. That's all. So I figured when I was dropping the car off, that's it. You know, we've gone our separate ways. I've given them back everything that they asked me for. We're done. I didn't expect to hear from them. I didn't expect to see them or anything like that for a while. So the next day I go to work and it's around lunchtime and the receptionist calls me and she says, Disha, your entire family is here. They want to talk to you. And so I tell her, I am at work and you need to tell them to go away. I, I, I was legitimately so confused why they showed up at my work. You know, I'd given them back everything that they wanted. Why are they still bothering me? So they don't listen. They push past her and they start roaming the hallways trying to look for me. So then the entire building, you know, is freaking out that there are intruders and I am thrown in a closet and locked up with the lights off while my boss handles the situation and calls the police because they legitimately refuse to leave until they find me. Um, so they finally leave a few hours later. But while this is going on, I have to be escorted out um, by security through a back alleyway so that I can leave the premises in case they do find me and something happens. And so the police told them, you know, you're not allowed to do this. This is trespassing. You, you need to stop. She's given you everything back. You need to leave her alone. You need to stop stalking her. So I figured, okay, you know, the police kind of threatened them. So they're probably going to stop. Well, two or three days later, again, I notice my parents' van sitting in the parking lot of my work from my boss's office. And I tell her about it. And she says, I'm calling the police and you need to hide again. And so the police show up, they walk over to the car, they ask them, you know, what are you doing here? They said, oh, Disha gets off work in a few minutes. We want to talk to her. Plus, she didn't give us this one object back and we're here to get it. So the police kind of knew that that was really weird. They said, why would she have this object with her at work anyway? You know, so the police comes back in and they tell me to be really careful. And they turn the security cameras on for the building and outside of every single exit, there are a few of my dad's friends just fanned out, waiting for me to come out. And so the police said, this is an attempted kidnapping case. Like, there are men standing at every single exit, 
waiting for you to come out to throw you in that car and to drive you away. Um, that was the most terrifying feeling in the entire world, knowing that I could potentially get kidnapped by my own family because I chose to be with somebody outside of my race. It was, I never felt safe. I felt like I was always being watched. Um, it also comes to turn out that my parents had hired a private investigator to follow me around too, to see where I was going and what I was doing. Um, I just, all of that was the creepiest feeling in the world. And so in order to protect my safety, the very next day I went and filed a protective order just to make sure that I would be okay. Um, it's the most scared I've ever felt in my entire life, knowing that I could potentially get taken away and God knows what would happen to me after that. So it wasn't just a regular protective order. It was a victim's protective order, which is a little more intense than just a basic PO. So when I showed up at court, I saw my entire, like my entire extended family sitting there. Um, so that was really freaky. You know, why is everybody here? And I just show up with Amos. I don't have an attorney. I didn't think the entire situation would be this bad. They show up with an attorney and everything. Um, it's, I'm honest to God, like I am sweating so bad and I'm, I'm just freaking out. You know, I don't have anyone to represent me. What are they going to do? And so their attorney goes up, their attorney speaks for a little while, and then it's my turn to come up and speak. And their attorney wants to see me outside to chat with me. And so the attorney is trying to handle the situation in a way where my parents would be allowed back in my life. The attorney guilted me. She said, you know, if your grandma was to pass away, you would regret that, right? You know, your family told me that they're gonna leave you alone. They don't want you to file anything like that. They won't bother you. Um, it's gonna be fine. Just let it go. I'll make sure that they'll leave you alone. But something didn't feel right. It just, the whole thing just felt so weird. And so my husband and I, we found an attorney that day and we asked the judge if we could come back another day with our attorney. And so the judge says, yes, definitely. You're more than welcome to have representation. Come back in a week. And so we go back in a week, you know, and their attorney's trying to blackmail me again. So my attorney basically said, if you are caught anywhere near her or if you send anybody near her or if you call her, if you bother her, you will face federal prison time because you crossed multiple state lines to come kidnap her a few times anyway. So that's, that's going to happen and you are to leave her alone. So they put this victim's protective order in place for three years. Um, didn't hear a peep from my family, which was really awesome. And I finally started to feel safe because of that. And so the protective order, it actually fell off maybe two years ago. And that's that. I mean, it's been five years and I haven't seen my family. I haven't talked to them. I haven't heard from them. So, yeah, that's basically my story in a nutshell of how everything happened. Wow. That's that's like so much to take in, like just hearing all of that at once. Um, so how old were you when that happened? I was 22 when that happened. So, like, we're the same age now. Like, I just turned 27, like, a couple weeks ago. Oh, and, happy like, birthday. <laughs> thank you. 
Um, but like, like I'm still like wrapping my head around that. Like what, like what is going through your mind when someone is like, you need to choose right now between like him or us, right? It's like this mm-hmm. in this moment. Like you have to decide. Like, how, like what is going through your mind at that point? There were honestly there were a lot of things going on in my mind. The biggest thing that was going on in my mind, I knew that I was going to choose Amos, right? Like that that was my choice. But I was so terrified to tell my parents that to their face because just of I I know how threatening and manipulative and abusive they can be. I've seen that from my childhood and I was just really scared of what's going to happen to me if I tell them that in person. Like are are they are they going to beat me? Are they going to try to lock me in a room like they're so unpredictable what are they going to do so in my head at the time there were just mostly thoughts of pure anxiety and nervousness of how I was going to deliver this blow to them that was my biggest concern because I wanted to do it in a way where I wouldn't be harmed right so like like didn't feel safe telling them and you didn't feel that it was possible to like have a civilized conversation with them like you know going to the police and going and getting you know the protective orders like I guess like from an outsider's perspective like you can are I'm sure people have you know been like well why didn't you try to talk to them and it's like if you don't feel safe like I 100% like that is what you should do like Make sure you're safe. Call the people who can help you and like get out of that situation. Cause I, I think when it comes to like interracial relationships and stuff, a lot of things that one of the biggest things that comes up is like that brown girl guilt, right? It's like, yeah, we don't want to make our parents upset. We don't want to disappoint them. But like in your situation where like clearly like this has nothing to do with guilt, you know, yeah. you don't want to have to do this to your parents because if they were your parents they wouldn't make you feel unsafe so at least like from my perspective like if I were in your shoes like I wouldn't even feel bad about like going through like the court system and the police and everything because it's like you like how can you be somebody's parent yeah and make them feel that way yeah exactly um yeah you pretty much summarize that perfectly I mean when I was sitting in court also I just it hit me on and off that I'm sitting in a courtroom filing a protective order against my own family who does that like who's put in a situation where they have to do that like that's just that's awful to not feel safe around the people who raised you like you leave your apartment and you're terrified of who's watching you you send a simple text message and you're terrified of who's reading it you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah and like I feel like they're like in our at least Indian parents or South Asian parents minds like they have this idea where like they don't think they're doing anything wrong right like yep. so many of us have been raised in like very conservative households and you know I also like my dad used to track like all the phone calls I made and who was I calling? And he would ask me, like, who's this number you keep calling? Who's this person wow. you keep talking to? And so 
and like literally I was like this is not normal like you cannot call this normal but they will tell you that's normal right like Mm -hmm. well we're your parents and we have the right to know like you're not allowed to have secrets from us and so we're raised thinking like this is normal and for so long like I was like I don't think this is normal like this doesn't seem right like nobody else's parents does this whether they're South Asian or not right Mm -hmm. yeah that's yeah I agree just some of the crazy stuff that I was raised to believe I didn't realize how crazy it was until I went through the process of being disowned by my family for example you know them having to know every single conversation I have on the phone just like you like that's I was 22 years old when I realized that's not normal and that's that's not okay. You know, that's really intrusive. Yeah, like it's one thing to be an overprotective parent and it's one thing to be a conservative family. But like when you start treating a grown adult, like at 22 years old, you are not a child. You don't yes. owe anybody an explanation. And for someone to think that they could have their family members show up to your job stand outside the doors like that's objectively speaking like the police said that's kidnapping yeah right? like yeah that's exactly what that is that's not you being protective that's not looking out for your child's best interests and it's not even like trying to like they're like oh we want to have a conversation with you it's like no we're gonna force our decision on you and it's like no like mm-hmm. like this isn't a conversation like you're not even establishing like a safe environment to have a discussion yeah I agree. And I think something that they probably told all my family and their friends is she wasn't willing to have a conversation with us. She called the police on us. She filed a protective order. We wanted to talk to her. But I think what they're probably missing from the story is the other half, which is we made the decision for her. We never allowed her to make the choice for herself, you know, and we're we're upset that she chose to be with him. But we want to talk to her about it and we want to force her to come to our side. You know, that's the other half of the story that they're obviously not telling. So, Right. Like them giving you a choice was putting you on a couch and saying, right now you have to decide between us or him and that's it. Instead of, let's talk about it. Let's hash out, like, how are we feeling right now? No, like, room. There's no breathing for an actual discussion. Because that's yes. how you get, yeah. that's how you get past that, not misunderstanding, but like that confusion and anger and grief that a lot of our parents have felt when we brought home someone who mm-hmm. wasn't Indian, right? Right. But like, they still kept the room to have a discussion. But if that room isn't there, like, kudos to you for like, choosing to like, do what's best for you and live your life and get out of like an extremely toxic situation from what it sounds like and like I don't because you know I feel like like some people like they're listening and they're thinking like how do you like deal with that guilt but it's like if it were me like I don't know if I would have any guilt I don't know if I would like bad for doing that to my parents when they clearly like crossed a lot of lines Mm-hmm. Yeah. And personally, you know, I did struggle with guilt when everything first happened. Because when you're raised as a child of immigrant Indian parents, you're it's always tossed in your face how much they've sacrificed for you. 
you know, Mm -hmm. we gave up everything in India in order to raise our kids in America. We wanted to give you the best life possible. When that's said to you several times a week, it becomes ingrained in your head and you feel like you owe your parents everything. You know, you have to make them happy. You have to do what they tell you to do. You can't live your own life. You know, if your parents tell you you have to become a doctor, well, okay, I guess I'm going to become a doctor because they gave up so much to to raise me mm-hmm. in the States, you know. So I would always feel guilt like that. But then I would sit down, I would take a time out, and I would just analyze the situation and realize how preventable this entire thing could have been if they were actually just willing to sit down and have a decent conversation with me about this. But instead, they chose to force their beliefs on me. They forced me to make a decision without even wanting to talk to me. I mean, I begged them so many times to meet Amos, right? And I knew Mm -hmm. that they would love him if they met him. But no, he's white. I don't want a white guy in my house. You're crazy. We never want to meet him. You know, so I just mm-hmm. think of it in terms of they had a choice to make, right? Yeah. And they had they had an option to meet him. They had an option to actually have a conversation and they chose not to. Therefore, that's not my issue. That's not right. my fault. I did everything I could have done to make the most of the situation and they chose not to. So that's not my responsibility for how exactly. they managed it. And that's what I always tell so many people that I talk to, like the way that your parents react is their choice. Mm -hmm. The way you decide to handle it is your choice. And if you put out, you know, your hand and you're like, I'm willing to let you meet him, let's talk about it, give him a chance. And they say, no, that's their choice. And like, you really like, there's nothing you can do about that. You know, like you can't force them to meet him, right? Yes. And so like keeping that in mind is always really important because that is their decision. Like you said, it could have ended so differently, right? Like so, mm-hmm. because especially nowadays, like a lot of families are willing to at least listen and maybe it's not easy all the time and maybe there's a lot of repetitive conversation, but at least the conversation's happening. But when you choose not to have it, like that's the choice. Right. Definitely agree with you. Okay, you go through all of this. We've gotten out of our toxic situation um how did kind of Amos handle all of this like knowing what was happening to you he was I mean honestly I don't know how he handled the situation so well and so gracefully I feel like if this was happening to any other guy they would have said you're crazy. This whole situation is crazy. I'm not dealing with this. I'm out. I don't deserve this. This is difficult. This is not fair. But he never, he was never that way. He always was my shoulder to cry on. He always protected me. He always made me feel safe. When he would drop me, drop me off at work in the mornings or pick me up back in the afternoon, he would always make sure to keep an eye out and make sure, you know, that I, nobody was going to follow me or anything like that. Um, he was the best emotional support system ever. You know, I th- it's, it's a little difficult 
sometimes conveying my feelings to him and him understanding because he hasn't gone through this, right? Mm -hmm. So that was always a little hard, but he understood as best as he could. And he was just, I don't know, he handled it so well. I think um, there were a few moments where he felt extremely unsafe for his well-being also, you know, because if my family's threatening me, they're obviously, well, they did threaten him. They said that they were going to kill him. So I know that that was, that was a little difficult for him, but I just, I think about it and I just think it's the most amazing feeling in the world knowing that somebody loves me so much that they would go with, you know, they would deal with all of this to be with me, you know, and it's, it's an amazing feeling. And there's no way I could have made it out of the situation without him. I was terrified when things are happening that he was going to leave me and that I would be alone at the end of this. But that was a risk that I was obviously willing to take. And he, he stuck with me. And it was it was awesome at how much he's helped me. And he still helps me to this day. You know, there's days where I struggle with feelings of abandonment. You know, and I struggle with, Mm -hmm. like, what could I have done to have a better ending, you know, and he's, he's always there to listen. So I appreciate that so much about him. Yeah. And how, I guess, like, how, how do you like, because I'm sure there are days where, like you said, like, you probably feel abandoned and you probably go, oh, what could we have done differently? Like, what decision could have been made? Um, Does that still like is that so like a process that we're like going through like come like that come and go with that feeling or I feel like now it's been about six years right um right I think so yeah almost um are we still like have we kind of like left that in the past and like we're still like moving on or we're like working on it still I think I'm finally now in a spot where I've left those feelings in the past and I've moved on. I want to say the first maybe three-ish years, those years were really rough. You know, things are still raw then. And especially when it's time for holidays, for example, Christmas and Thanksgiving, or even birthdays of family members, you know, like you, I felt such a big gap on those days. Like I should be calling my family. I should be celebrating with them. And it, it was, it was tough, you know, but the older I've gotten and as as the years have gone on, I've I have a new family, you know, like I have Amos. And I've also been adopted by this really sweet family in Amos's hometown actually. And I honestly I forget that they adopted me. Like I forget that they're not my biological parents, you know, that's how close I am to them. And so as the years have gone on, I've started filling those gaps with various friends and other family members, you know, that have adopted me like their own. So I don't struggle with those feelings anymore. Um, There is like the one day in the year where sometimes I kind of wake up and it hits me that this, this happened to me and Mm -hmm. this is my story, you know, and days like that are kind of tough, but I give myself maybe an hour or two to mope around And then I tell myself, all right, we're done. We have to move on with our day. What's happened has happened. I'm, there's nothing I can do to change the situation. Um, So I need to move on after I let myself grieve for a little bit. But days like that are becoming 
so rare now. So yeah, yeah, I think, I think I'm healing every single day and it's just really nice to, to not dwell on that past situation anymore. I'm glad to hear that. That makes me happy that we're healing and moving on because that's so important to do. Like there's just some things that like that you really can't change. Do you feel like you've kind of forgiven your family or have you just kind of like let that be? Honestly, I I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know if I've forgiven them or not. I've just moved on from the situation so much that I don't think about it that much anymore. You know, that's You're like indifferent. Just, not, yeah, I'm indifferent. You know, if I ever saw my family in person, would I go talk to them? No, definitely not. I would honestly look the other way. Um, so I, I just, I don't feel anger. I don't feel resentment. I don't feel anything ill towards them. But at the same time, I'm not quite sure if I have forgiven them or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. what they did. You're just living me, your just, life. Yeah, it, it's just, I don't, I don't know if what they did to me is unforgivable. You know, I am still trying to figure that out as I'm moving on with my life, you know. Yeah. And no one in your family has, like, reached out in this time? Like, no, I have zero contact with anybody from my family. That's, like, so, and you have a sister, you've got cousins, mm-hmm. and, like, they yeah. haven't reached out. Do you feel like maybe your family, like the adults in the family, are threatening them as well? I I think so. I definitely think that. I was always really close to my cousins growing up. And so it was really shocking to me that even they didn't have my back. You know, even they mm-hmm. didn't support me. Uh, my little sister and I, that's a kind of a complicated story. And I do want to dive into that a little bit because I know somebody out there is probably gonna need to hear this so my sister is seven years younger than I am and she was she's like the perfect child I love her to pieces she's so smart she's so driven like she's everything that I'm not and I absolutely love that about her um she always knew from a very young age that she was going to be a pharmacist and she was going to do all these awesome things with her life and so when everything was happening I think she was I was 22 and she was, she was really young. She's seven years younger than me. Um, she was just being fed information by my parents. I don't think she was allowed to see my perspective of the situation. She was only seeing what my parents were telling her. So therefore she's obviously going to have their side. Plus she's, she's a baby still, you know, no child Mm -hmm. is going to think that their parent is wrong in any situation. So she, obviously she had her side. And so, which is fine, you know, I have no anger or anything towards her for that. I would have probably done the same thing if the roles were reversed, you know, I'm a kid, I want to protect myself. Um, so I just, I told myself, you know, maybe when she gets older, I'll reach out to her, maybe she'll reach out to me, and that'll give me an opportunity to to share my perspective with her. But she's she's in pharmacy school, And she's still living at home with my parents. So even though almost six years have gone by, I don't think that we're really in a position to kind of talk, mostly because I don't want to 
put her in a position where she's tiptoeing around my parents while she's still living with them. I don't want to do anything that's going to harm her. So I haven't talked to her at all. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's the most painful thing um, for me is because my sister was my best friend. She meant the world to me. I mean, she was, she's everything to me and she still is. And if that's the thing sometimes that I can't cope with is losing her. Yeah. You know? But I'm just going to have to wait for a few years to go by, you know, when she's out of the house and when she, when she has her own voice and she can actually use it and she can form her own opinions, you know? Yeah. And that's like, it's crazy to think that we live in a culture where like, we're almost like never expected to have a voice, right? Like I grew Mm -hmm. up in a world where my mom would say things like, like I, when I turned 21, you like grew at a family party and I had a drink and she would be like, well, you don't make that decision. Like you're, cause my parents don't drink. And they were like, you can drink if your husband says you can drink. And I was like, I'm 21. Like, yeah. And like, you know, at that time, what? Yeah. The law says I can drink. So (laughs) I'm going to go to the bar. Like we're at this party. Like, what are you doing? And like, you know, there was a party where my dad made like a whole scene about it. And like all of like my extended family was there. And it was kind of nice being in a room where like my extended family was like, he's being crazy. Like you're an adult. Um, But it was it's still just like we have this culture where it's like I'm apparently not a person until unless I have a husband. And that now my husband makes those decisions. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so it's scary to think that like your sister, like, even though, you know, she's in pharmacy school, she's legally an adult, having to keep in mind, like, her safety and her well-being about whether or not it's a good time for you to reach out. Because she had, you know, she did nothing in this situation that should impact your relationship. Mm -hmm. But, yep. There's so many things in our culture that need to change. Like, It's hard not to sound, like, incredibly, like, pissed off because, like, I'm hearing this and I literally want to, like, smack these people because it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. You know, know. every time I share my story, it's just like, what the heck even? You know? Yeah. Like, is this real? America, from India, why are we still holding on to these super old beliefs and why are we not integrating with the culture in the States. Why, yeah. why did you move there in the first place? You know? Yeah. Do you think it almost made it worse to find out from, like you said, some auntie snooping around on Facebook and like suddenly their worst fear has already come true, right? Like their whole, like, what will people say? What will people think? It's like, you already heard it from the source, from the auntie that we all like live in fear of this auntie culture. And that's how your family found out. Yeah, so I'm not going to pretend to be, like, the innocent one in that situation. Um, I definitely feel like I should have manned up a little, and I should have been completely transparent and honest with them rather than letting them find out from their friend. Um, But even if they heard it from me, I think they still would have handled the situation the same exact way. Yeah, it didn't seem like you guys had the space to even have that conversation. You know, that decision of, like, you should never talk to someone who's not Indian, it seemed to be an established standard before Amos was even in the picture. Yes. Yeah. But sometimes I wonder, I'm like, maybe 
I guess that goes back, right? Like you go back and think what could have been done differently. That's yep. just one of those conversations that's almost like pointless to have because it's already right. done. Yeah, exactly. Do you think you would ever want to reach out to your family again? Or right now you're just not at a point to even like consider it? Um, I thought I've thought about this a lot. And a lot of people have asked me this question. This is going to sound a little harsh, but honestly speaking, I have zero desire or the intention to ever patch things up with my family again. I mean, the way that they handled the situation was just awful. I can't even believe that they tried to kidnap me not once, but multiple times. And I just, I don't want to be around that toxicity. You know, I've learned the hard way that if you raise a concern to your Indian parents, they're going to have temporary moments of change. They've changed, you know, but that's them. That's just ingrained in their genes and in their mind. And that toxicity and that manipulation is always going to be there. And I think in the back of their mind, you know, even if we did patch things up, for example, when they see me with Amos in the back of their minds, they're always going to probably be thinking, what if she was with an Indian guy and I'm going to pretend to be happy for her, but I can't believe that this is a white guy that she has in my house with her right now. You know, I've just, mm -hmm. I, I can't, I can't do that to myself. I can't do that to Amos, you know, yeah. if they had handled the situation better and if they didn't try to kidnap me several times, you know, and make me fear for my life, I think that maybe things would have turned out differently in the future, you know, but we're just, yeah, I'm, I'm done with that. I've moved on for sure. Yeah, but from, you know, what I can tell, we, we've been chatting a little bit, and you now travel full-time. So we've moved past the parents and being disowned. You are now with Amos, who seems mm -hmm. like a wonderful person. Um, tell us about what you're up to these days. So these days, like you said, I travel full-time. So Amos and I, you know, we just, we love to live really different lives you know we like to do things that are off the beaten path you know literally and figuratively um we just decided to pack up our things two years ago and go travel the world honestly I needed a reset in my life you know I needed to figure out who I was and who I want to be through the situation I'd been through and that's just not really possible you know when you're still living in the same city where all this pain and stuff has happened. You know, I just, I needed to get out and I needed to do something different. And so we figured how cool would it be for us to just leave and explore the world and explore who we are too on a deeper level. So yeah, we started off traveling in Southeast Asia and that's all that we were gonna do. We were just gonna travel for maybe three months, see how it goes and then maybe travel a little longer. But the more we traveled, you know, the more in love we fell with one another. Traveling truly brought us together. And we have learned so many cool things about each other that we would have never known if we were at home. And I've just, I've loved becoming the person that I am today, you know, because of travel. And so it's just, it's a big part of who we are. And we've been on the road for two years. And I honestly don't know when we'll come back home. So... <laughs> 
Well, it seems like if you have Amos, you probably always have home with you to a certain extent. Um, How how does that work? So how long do you spend in each kind of place you go to? Okay, so that's complicated. When we first started traveling, we wanted to see as many places as we could um, just to kind of figure out what places do we like? Which countries do we want to come back to? So when we were in Southeast Asia, we were probably in a different place every three or four days. Um, that got a little, it gets rough after a while. You know, you're in a, you're sleeping in a different bed two or three times a week. It, it's exhausting on your body and mentally exhausting as well. Um, it was the same way in Europe too. So for about six months of our travels, we, we were really fast paced, just trying to figure out what we liked and what we didn't like. So after that, we kind of slowed down, you know, we started digging in on the places that we were exploring, spending a week or two maybe, um, and then still keeping in mind, you know, what we liked and what we didn't like. But this past year has been incredibly slow. So in 2019, we started off in Australia, and then we did a little bit of New Zealand, and then we moved on to South America for about two months. And then we actually went home for a week and then we moved to Cape Town, South Africa for three months. And then from there, we hopped over to Dubai and we were there for another month and a half-ish. And then we went to India, actually, and we were there for about three months. And then we've been in Australia ever since then. So it's been really slow this year and I've, I've enjoyed it, honestly. That sounds awesome. That's like, that's like that Instagram life where you're like, is that real? It's real. <laughs> right. How does, I guess the obvious question is like, how does that work financially? So yeah, before we started traveling, uh, well, actually we didn't know that we were going to travel like this until maybe three months before we just decided to do this. So we were fortunate in the sense that we didn't have any student loan debt. We both had full rides to college So that helped out a lot. And we were also renting an apartment and the lease ended in December. So it was a convenient time for us to travel. We didn't have a mortgage or anything. And then our cars, uh, Amos paid cash for. So we didn't have car payments or anything. So we literally had no financial obligations at home whatsoever that were holding us back. So that helped out quite a bit. I know that a lot of my friends who want to travel, you know, they have debt and they have a mortgage and they have car payments and it's doable to travel when you have those expenses, mm. but it's, it's not very fun. You know, it, it doesn't allow you to freely spend your money on different experiences and stuff that are a little more costly. So we, we went into savings mode for those three months. Um, even then we weren't that strict with our savings. Um, because we were pretty good at it anyway, but we, we just stopped eating out a lot and we just stopped buying useless crap that we didn't need because we were moving out anyway. You know, that's more stuff that you have to worry about. So that helped out a lot. And Amos actually has a business that's running back home and I work online. So we have income coming in while we travel. So that's definitely that's what has been able to help us travel for sure. That's awesome. It's awesome that you're fortunate enough to be in that position to have like yeah. that flexibility. Um, especially nowadays, it's if, if when I'm looking online, like a lot of jobs can be done on a computer. You don't necessarily need to be in an office. Um, right. 
like that's my goal like if I can make this podcast into something that is income driven mm-hmm. like I don't need to be anywhere but near a, a computer with wi-fi to do it right yeah exactly so true it's the goals <laughs> <laughs> um do you have any trips for travelers Ooh, I have I have, you have so a blog many. about tips yeah well, you yeah. have a blog about traveling not really tips but Yep. Yeah. I mostly write about travel tips and how other people can get started traveling. So mostly, I don't know. It depends on which aspect you want travel tips for. Is it, do you want financial travel tips? Do you want, like, tell us about where you are right now. I am in Australia right now. Amos's brother was actually born in Melbourne. And so he relocated here uh, maybe, no, a year ago. And so he actually met up with us when we were traveling through India. And then we thought it'd be really fun to go back to Australia with him and hang out with him. So, yeah, we've been here for about three months now. That's awesome. What's your favorite thing so far about Australia? Oh, the coffee. The coffee is so good. Here for the coffee, dude. Can't get enough. (laughs) Yeah, it's really good. And also the people here, they're really, I love this about them. They're so, like, eco-friendly. People don't like to waste things here, and people love to recycle here, and they care about yeah. the environment, and that's what I also love, too. Um, there's, like, there's no wastage here. It, it's so fun. Like, for example, when you go grocery shopping here, you take reusable grocery bags, but, like, in Oklahoma, when you go grocery shopping, you know, you get a new Walmart bag. Mm-hmm. Every single time you go, you know, like it's just—it's really eye-opening. Yeah. Being there. it's still—it's still not the norm to bring your own bags. Um, because right. my husband and I, we carry all of our bags whenever we grocery shop. Mm-hmm. But it's still—we're still not the majority. Right. Exactly. Except maybe in Whole Foods, because people judge you if you don't bring your own. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Whole Foods is like you're <laughs> buying plastic water bottles. Like, yeah, get it. Like we don't sell those here. Thank so you, true. But. <laughs> Um, oh, I just had a question and I forgot. Damn it. Oh, I hate when that happens. Oh, I had a good one. That's the thing about these like podcast recordings. I am like tripping over myself, like in my own head. Yeah. Like questions, things you could talk about. Um, oh. would you, do you think you'll ever kind of decide to like, settle down in a certain country like are you guys sort of searching when you travel like for a place to stay forever or are you still like just exploring honestly I think the U.S. will always be home for us and that's where we will come back and decide to stay forever we love to travel and we love hopping from place to place and the nomad life is really fun but I don't think we've found the place that we could call home forever you know besides the States. Mm-hmm. I've traveled to 87 countries and there's a few countries that I absolutely love, but those I like for short term, you know, maybe like a couple months out of the year. So in our ideal world, we'd love to have a home base somewhere in the States for six months. And then the other six months, you know, we're spending time in our favorite countries. So that's what our ideal world would look like. Yeah. Same. I really want to live in Thailand. Like, if yeah. I had a second base, I think uh-huh. it would be Thailand. Yeah. Not you that would... I've ever been there. I've just decided that for myself. <laughs> You'll love it. We lived in Thailand for 
three months, I want to say. And it's just, it's so fun. It's so different than the States. You have a more laid back way of life there, you know, and you just, your worries are less there for sure. Yeah. Mike and I went on our honeymoon. We went to Costa Rica Uh and there's a lot of like expat communities there um, with properties and stuff available to buy. And there was a legitimate part of our honeymoon spent like trying to decide if like, should we buy a house here? Like, is this? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, because, you know, you get married and I was like, oh, are you going to buy a house? And we're like, we'll just go back and tell everyone we bought a house in Costa Rica. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we we bought that. a house. It's just <laughs> not here. Um, one question I do have is, do people stare? Because, you know, you're brown. He's not. Um, and even living in the but I'm thinking abroad in countries that are much more homogenous than the U.S. Um, what's that been like? Um, honestly, the only country where we've gotten stared at, like we don't belong together, those countries are Nepal and India. I've traveled to 87 countries, and every country I've been to besides those two, people have never cared that we're an interracial couple, except for those two. Um, just the that looks that you get. That says a lot. Yeah. It's just the looks you get in India and Nepal. They're just like such like evil looks. Like you should you should be married to me, not him. You're my property. Why you're an Indian girl? Why are you with this white guy? You know. But what's so interesting is that like you know Sri Lanka is close to India, just like Nepal is. You know, but Sri Lanka has been one of the most accepting places I've been to people there just thought it was so cool that Amos and I were married and that we were traveling together and it was really interesting to see that they didn't mind at all yeah yeah that makes sense because when I say Mike and I get stared at I mean we get stared at by other South Asian people so Mm, it's not really the rest of the rest of the country it's yeah it's more like you know the grandmas and the aunties like full-blown staring like yeah well yeah um and you know no one ever says anything to us but like you can kind of see it on their face once in a while like oh okay I get it Mm -hmm. like I see you auntie like we're gonna move on now um yeah luck luckily my extended family and like I guess set of aunties has been pretty welcoming and accepting but in my head a little part of it is like well I'm not your kid you know, because you yeah, know that's, that's kind so of how they're true. justifying it yeah. in their head. It's like, well, that's not my kid. Like, my kid didn't do that. Yeah, exactly. And someone's got to have, like, a, you know, something to shit about. It's so true. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you can just <laughs> tell. You're yep. like, yeah, like, you're all great because, like, your kids aren't my age yet. Yeah, exactly. You know? Well, I have like extended family and I don't know if that's even my cousin or like an aunt. I have no idea. Um, But there's two of them on my mom's side that married white guys. Right. And like my whole family used to be so chill and nonchalant about it because their lives are not directly intersected with theirs. Right. Mm -hmm. But like and that's what I always thought. I was like, oh, my parents are cool about it. You know, it's fine. So I think they might be okay with my relationship. It's a completely different story when it's your own kid. Right, exactly. Yep. Yep. 
And I think the parents do, though, make a big difference because, like, eventually once my parents kind of, like, got past Mike being white and all that stuff, like, the fact that they were supportive, especially my mom, like, kudos to my mom for being who she is, would always defend my 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 decision and Michael and like has never once to somebody else in our community been like Mike sucks or I wish it wasn't Mike like she has been fully supportive of it and so it almost like if your parents can get on board the rest of the community almost like doesn't have a say yeah exactly and that's something that I try to explain to my parents too is that if you're supportive of us then nobody else in the community is going to give a shit, Yeah, you know? But if you're making a big deal out of it, they're looking for an opportunity to pounce on any kind of gossip. So obviously they're going to chime in and they're going to yeah. join you. you and know? listen, like people are going to stare. I know it sounds cliche, but like you might as well give them something to look at. Yeah, exactly. Seriously you know? though, like if we go grocery shopping together, like in Oklahoma and there's an Indian auntie and she stares at us, like, we'll just stand there and we'll hold hands and we'll honestly just, you know, yeah, not to be rude, but it's like you people need to understand, you know, that it, it's 2020 and the generation of Indian kids living in America, they are diversifying their relationships and they're diversifying their occupation. You know, things are different now and you, you need yeah. to come face to face and you need to understand and just don't not be so judgy when you see mm-hmm. somebody like that in public, you know. Like, get over it. Exactly. And then you almost, like, like how you do, like, when Mike and I are seen out and about, like, we don't really hide that we're together. Just in the hopes of, like, if you see it enough, if you see enough Indian girls with a not-Indian partner, or if you see enough gay couples, or if you see enough whatever, maybe when it happens to you or happens to someone in your family that you'll do better mm-hmm. you know like you won't have a meltdown over it or you'll at least understand that your child isn't the only one who did that yes right exactly yeah because like for my mom like that I know was part of her comfort in knowing that like because when I did bring my home like her first thought was the like handful of like one or two other girls in our community that had mm-hmm. also brought home someone who wasn't Indian and realizing like, okay, like they did it and everything's okay. We can do it, you know, because yep. it's for them, like, you know, they chose to live here. Like you should probably accept the fact that the majority of the population is not Indian and there's a good chance your child will bring someone different home, but it's different when you have to like face it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think our culture almost like shoots itself in the foot, right? Because like they're trapping themselves with this whole like look yucking mentality because they're so worried about what other people think they're trapping themselves from living like their own lives. Yeah, I agree. Like the, what will people say thing are just the most haunting words, I think in the Indian society. It's like you, people are imprisoned by those words. People don't yeah. live their lives because they're always afraid of what are people going to think of me if I do this and that. And it's like you're not you're not living life, you know, if if you're constantly worried about what people other people are going to think. But here's something that I wish other so I just wish that other 
Indian people who do imprison themselves by other people's opinions, I wish they would realize even if you were doing everything right, you're still going to get judged by other people. You know, there's always going to be somebody who thinks that you shouldn't be doing this or you shouldn't be doing that. So even if you are living your perfect life according to Indian culture and society, it's somebody secretly low-key is still judging you. Also, you're still miserable. Yeah. Like you made everybody else happy, quote unquote, but you're miserable. Yeah. So what's the point? Yeah, exactly. And that's something that I used to have knockdown drag outs with my parents about. You know, they were, for example, I went to Oklahoma State University and there's that's not where the Indian kids in Oklahoma go. Indian kids in Oklahoma go to OU. And so my parents were kind of upset that I decided to go somewhere where there are no Indians, you know. And I just tried to explain to them, like, even if I did go to college with 50 million other Indian kids, people would still be talking about me, you know, and Mm -hmm. I would be miserable. But instead, I'm going to go somewhere where I'm not surrounded by 50 million other Indians and let people judge me still. But this time I'll be happy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they just, they'll always come up with something, right? They're going to sit there and tell the story of you refusing to change your mind instead of them refusing to listen. Mm -hmm. They're going to tell the story of we shouldn't have sent her away for college. We shouldn't have let her live on her own. We shouldn't have let her make this decision. And that's like as if there was some turning point, like some pivotal moment where they could have shifted what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my family always said that. They said letting you go away for college was the worst decision that we could have ever made. You got way out of line and you became wild in college. And I was like, okay, well, if you want to think that, you can think that. But it's the situation still would have been the same if I was living at home. So, yeah, like you can't keep your child in a box. No. Not the world we live in. No matter how much control you try to impose, like, one day they will just leave. Yeah. You know, and like for me, because I didn't have the best relationship with my parents for such a long time because of that control, Mm -hmm. because of the monitoring and being told what to do. I just moved out. You know, for me, like I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm not asking you. I'm not running it by you. Like I graduated school. I got a job. I saved up and I moved out. And it was no, you know, it wasn't like, like no hard feelings here, but like, I just need to live my life. And maybe with this distance, we can work it out. And mm-hmm. that was honestly the best decision for me. Like I moved out and now I have a better relationship with my mom than I've ever had, you yeah. know? And yeah. I don't, not to make this about me, but like, I don't think I've like really forgiven my dad either. Mm -hmm. for like just being the way he has been my entire life it's like I'm glad you like got on board and like you love Mike and like you hang out with his parents and good for you but that doesn't erase the 25 years before that yeah so yeah I yeah you know and like you it's like I'm indifferent yeah yeah exactly and like people ask me sometimes they're like what if what if they come to accept Amos, you know, and what if they love him? And you, you can't just erase years of mental anguish. That's always going to be there and that's never going to go away, you know. Right. So I, I don't care 
if they love him and they accept him, it's still painful with how you handle the situation. So, right. Like, I'm glad you can talk to Michael and like have yeah. this conversation, but like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Hey dad, we should get lunch together. Like, no, we're not there. Yeah. May- and exactly. maybe one day down the road, but at this point, like I'm like so indifferent mm-hmm. that I just, I just like don't care. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, a phrase that Australians use and they say, yeah, I can't be bothered by that. And that's like my mentality about the situation. Like, I'm not bothered by it. It is what it is, you know? Yeah. And the best. I get thing to be with Mike, no matter what happened, because I'm happier than I think I've ever been, because I finally broke out of that whole like, what if I disappoint my parents? What if I make someone unhappy? What if some auntie talks shit about me? Like, breaking out of that. And just choosing to live my life, like, best decision ever. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to share? Do you have any words for the, I'm sure there are listeners who are hearing their voice in you, right? Like, they hear the fears that they have or maybe something that they're going through. What would you want to leave them with? I think what I, my biggest piece of advice is you are a lot braver than you think you are. I didn't realize how strong and courageous I was until I was put in this situation with my family. And when you're put through a hellish situation like that, you truly discover how capable you are of moving past this, you know. And also, as much as your parents have done for you, which, I mean, I commend my parents on their sacrifice of giving everything up in India and moving to the States for sure. I think that's, that's amazing. But at the same time, you can't use that kind of guilt to not live your life. You know, you have one life to live and you have to do things that make you happy, even though they make your parents unhappy. Because I think the worst thing in life is just waking up one morning and realizing how many regrets you have because you chose to make your parents happy instead of making yourself happy. And that's, that's the most important thing. Sometimes when I tell that to people, they think that I'm being selfish, but you have to be with life though. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's not fair to yourself if you're constantly miserable by making others happy. And another thing that I would have to say is when I went through this, I was completely alone. I did not know anyone who had gone through what I had gone through, but you're not alone. You know, if you, if you feel like you're alone, you can always reach out to me or anybody else and any other girl, like even you, Disha, who's gone through this, right? Like it's, we're here to help you and we're here to help you make it through. So there's never going to be an instance where you are alone. And then also I think, that conformity is just conformity really frustrates me it's ingrained in our minds from such a young age that we always have to conform to exactly what our parents want you know just don't you know there's some things that you obviously should conform to like your parents teaching you not to do drugs and this and that you know which you know you should listen to them but (laughs) in terms of like careers and stuff like do what you want you're the one that's going to be living with that choice not your parents you know so leave the conformity stuff behind and choose yourself and I also think 
that surrounding yourself with people who do love you for who you are despite your choices, that's really that's really important also, whether that be other family members or whether that be some of your good friends that you've made, you know, always have a good and steady support system for sure, because it'll make things a lot easier when you're going through them for sure. Yeah. And like, it's okay to choose your family and create like in the terms of like, if your parents or whoever part of your Mm -hmm. family decides like they can't deal with your decision, like it's okay to choose to make other people your family and it doesn't make you a bad person you know having like your best friends who then become your family or other people who are there to support you and be there for you like there's no guilt in that there's no shame in it and you gotta do what's best for you yeah and you should definitely get yourself out of any toxic situations because that's not okay ever yeah oh and one last thing I think whenever you're going through something so traumatic, you know, and just awful, it's so hard to even picture yourself being happy years down the road, right? But I can fully attest that life goes on and things do get better and everything will be okay, even though it doesn't seem that way right now. So just keep moving forward, keep doing you, and I promise that everything else in the future, it's it's you will be where you're meant to be and everything will work out the way that it's supposed to work out there's no point in worrying about that yeah for sure like you just have to keep taking one step at a time and you Mm -hmm. definitely come out on the other end and like one day you're just like oh it's okay like Mm -hmm. you know like you have all these days where like you feel like it's so hard and it's so unending but then one day you wake up it's almost like getting through like a bad breakup. Like you're so miserable. And then one day you're like, oh, I don't care anymore. Like yeah, I'm fine. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And if you ever, ever need someone to reach out to guys, you already know this, but my DMs are always open. Um, some of you guys already slide in there on my Instagram, but <laughs> you can always find me. Um, and where can we find you? You can also find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Disha Discovers. And then you can also find me on my blog at www.deshadiscovers.com. Awesome. So if you want to find her, you can reach out to her there. And all of that will also be in the description of this episode, as always. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode of But What Will People Say? As always, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend. Tell someone that you think would benefit from hearing it. Leave us a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. It helps us get more exposure. Um, As always, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all other major streaming platforms. And if you or someone you know would like to be a guest, um, email bwwpspodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's it. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, Big love to all of you who tune in every week. It means so much to us. And without your guys' support, this podcast would not be possible. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And we'll see you again next Monday. Bye.